Megan, Megan, you said that we were going to start the show. You got to come down from the love loft. It's going to be okay. No, I live up here now. This is my home. Megan, come on. I managed to drag myself down five minutes ago. You can do it too. I believe in you. We'll come down together. (laughs) How could you leave me up here, Stacey? Look, I want to go back up, but I'm not going to. Stacey, Mark, we're just going to have to start the show without her. We're going to have to drink all of these delicious drinks and beverages all by ourselves. You know what? We'll just have Megan's take and and she's gonna, she'll just stay up there. I'd hey, be happy happy. to take one for the team. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to Ruby Redux. <laughs> I will just take these here shots. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. That yes. one's mine. Okay, slow down. Slow down. Slow down. That one's mine. Share with me. All Share right, with all me. Right. All right. Everybody each gets one glass oh. each. One Thank for you. Mark. That's one me. for Stacy. Oh, thank you. One for Katie. So this is the writer's tears, right? Yes. Yes. And the rest of the <sighs> bottle for me. Okay. For those who aren't familiar, writer's tears is an Irish brand of whiskey. All right, everybody. Cheers. Let's get the ball rolling on this one. It's going to be a doozy. Slancha. Salud. Hey there, Keep Ruby us. fans. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Ruby Redux here on Rooster Team Radio. Today we are talking about Volume 7, Episode 12, with friends like these. I'm Megan Salinas, and with me is a fantastic group of drinking buddies slash co-hosts. And let me go ahead and introduce these wonderful humans. With me in the room is Katie Cullen. Who needs anemones? Anemones? Like Finding You've Nemo? You've seen Finding Nemo. Okay. <laughs> you know me, I laugh away the pain. And calling in from Los Angeles is the lovely Stacey Shuttleworth. Apparently friends are overrated. <laughs> We're co-hosts. You didn't introduce us as friends. This is a work relationship. Hey, drinking Ouch. buddies. Drinking wow. buddies. Okay. Uh, and calling in all the way across the country is the wonderful Mark B. Donica. I don't have a joke. This all just got really real all of a sudden. <laughs> You're just following orders, right? Stop. Whoa. Wow. Okay. You you stop that. (laughs) It is too soon, my lady. Um, Okay. (laughs) What? What? I was going to say my good sir, but that's not correct. Did you tip your hat when you said that too? I was going to say stick with my good sir or get your fedora. uh, (laughs) mm, mm, mm. Well, guys, um, this is a doozy of an episode, and before we really start digging into it, bits aside, fun, fun, silly bits aside, we are going to be tackling some kind of sensitive topics uh, later on in our discussion, since this episode happens to deal with uh, a particular character death, and there are... There are some issues that we need to discuss in light of that. So we just wanted to give you guys a heads up that towards the later half of the episode, we're, we're going to be sitting down and having some grown-up talk. It's going to be real talk time. So um, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're going to keep the bits to a minimum during the second half of the show, but we are going to spend the first half of the show talking about the fun stuff. So please <laughs> stick around and keep an open mind. And most importantly, when you're discussing this particular topic with other people be courteous and polite and considerate and sensitive to uh just other the opinions of other people and their perspectives so long story short be cool guys wheaton's law wheaton's law 
so yeah, um, on that note, guys, this was a heavy duty episode, but a monumental one at that, uh, just off the, off the cuff. What were our initial thoughts of this episode? Let's go ahead and start with Mark. It's hard to not get weighed down by the stuff at the end. But in, in rewatching it, there's a lot more to notice. Similarly to when we rewatched, or I, I won't speak for y'all, but when I rewatched the last episode before we did our show, noticing just a couple of small things here and there and certain evolutions of characters, of fight choreography, of concepts, looks, everything, and how much this show has come from Yang's... I say Yang's trailer because... I would like, eh, no, I would say all of the trailers, just from our first glimpse at all of these characters and like the effects, the particles, the music, the everything is just miles ahead, forgive the pun, of where we started and the, there is a lot to appreciate in this episode. Stacy, Absolutely agree. I mean, again, this volume has done such a good job of building things off up and giving us satisfying payoffs. And I think as devastating as some of the stakes we're facing and for like the broken relationships and the betrayals and all of the like kind of drama we're facing with all of these characters here, the payoffs are so satisfying. We see character arcs come full circle and I think that everything was so well put together insofar as how we end up, you know, with this huge face off with our parties kind of finally firmly taking their sides and lining up for their big showdowns. Katie? I mean, my take is mostly dying whale noises, <laughs> but we already had our yelling away from the mic gag for the episode. Um, I agree in that upon a rewatch when when the hesitate to say when the dramatic tension is gone but when you already know what's coming down the line you can pick up a hell of a lot more of the details and i have to say the fight choreography especially our two-on-two fight really impressed me with the flow and how everything worked out like yeah, I'm with Mark in that the buildup throughout all of the seasons, and even just this season in particular, has been really, really solid. This is a fantastic climax. I mean, it hurts us a lot, but it can't hurt you if you don't care. So it made us care. It gave us something beautiful to watch. And then, yeah, things occurred. It, it was a very solid episode. It is... Very rare where any given piece of media leaves me speechless. And the end of this episode left me speechless. And like so much so that it basically took from the time that I finished the episode until the time where we're doing our recording for me to fully process that. And like <laughs> those emotions. So it's just it's very interesting to have watched an episode and then to have to like sit on it for a couple days and think like about how you feel about particular things and the way things are going down. And we'll get into that more in the latter half of the episode. But man, the the stuff in this episode that paid off on all of the buildup in terms of like the Aesops being in opposition to our team. And as Mark was saying earlier, the animation and how refined everything 
has been this entire volume, like, it is both absolutely, it absolutely makes sense and utterly unbelievable that there is only one episode left in this volume. It's kind of bonkers um, that there's only one left before everything gets wrapped up or, let's be honest, might leave off on a cliffhanger. Um, the I, I legit don't know if we're going to be able to wrap all this up. Um, or if we're, if it's, yeah, it's, I'm feeling more and more like it's going to be a cliffhanger, but we'll see. Um, I second that prediction. <laughs> yep. I, I think we're going to get cliffhangered at the end of a season for the first time ever. Well, I think th- there's, there's discourse going around that seven and eight are connected in that I, the next episode isn't going to get us out of Atlas. Oh, no. Yeah. No, there's way too much going down to be honestly. I mean, we're way ahead of predictions territory, but um, we still have flying monkeys in the back pocket, you guys. <laughs> we still have flying monkeys in the back pocket. I don't want anyone to forget that. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that at the at the end of the show when we when we straight up talk about like what do we think is coming next for the ep for for the remainder of the volume. But uh, there, let's let's go back to to the start. You know, Penny gives off her her, uh, her mayday notice. Ironwood cuts her off, and now it's what we've been building up to all season, the Aesops versus Team Ruby. And we were wondering whether or not this fight was ever going to happen, and if so, how would it go down? Would certain members of the Aesop turn against their own team? We had a lot to speculate when it came to this particular fight, and so it was really, really satisfying to see it finally happen. What did we think of this fight and how it went down? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. Man, there was just something so badass about Ruby looking Harriet in the eye and telling her, yeah, you were the best, and then you trained us. <laughs> and that Mic was the drop. moment. Oh, <laughs> right? That was just the perfect kickoff to this series of battles and this series of showdowns because it really got to showcase their skill. We got to see beautifully animated pieces of teamwork and just all of the ways that their confidence has grown. And we got to see them work. We saw the teamwork and how well that works against this more militarized Aesops who think... You know, work relationship only. We don't get to be friends. Well, friendship might have won the day here. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's the power of friendship at work. (laughs) Mark, what did you think? Maybe the military coup was the friends we made along the way. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. Does this count as a coup or is it just disobedience? They're, they're, (laughs) if somebody is trying to enact martial law and they take that person down i think technically it can be considered a coup i'll take it because if you're trying to instill a certain way to run the country over the military i mean i'm think i'm I'm like you know grasping at straws nitpicking whatever you want to call it mark i want to see that embroidered on something (laughs) coming soon to tpublic.roosterteam.com perfect um but this we we learned a lot we learned how far harriet is willing to go we learn how 
the relationship between elm and vine how spread thin it can be they compensate each other very well on the battlefield this is our first time to really get to see it in action oh but actually before i go off on that all of this felt like um i'll speak very generally when i say this because who knows if people are still trying to play it but this feels like the end of a kingdom hearts game where the three like the different bosses go off into different rooms because it felt like three very distinct fights with with very distinct bosses and it wasn't it wasn't just all right we're gonna fight all right we're gonna fight all right we're gonna fight the fact that they didn't take down Harriet by the legs, but by the arms. That was just, that was just silly. She's a runner. She's a speedster. You got to trip her up somehow. Um, I can say with certainty that Marrow was the most put together of all of the Aesops because of how he was treating the situation. For being the most rookie member, he was acting, I think... Li- Closest to still being true to his Aesop training, but then also being a person. And uh, we also learned that with his semblance takes a lot of energy and he can only do it to one thing, not necessarily creature at its, or maybe certain power for a certain power level or whatever sliding scale. He casts it at level six versus level two, you you know, that, that, <laughs> that type of stuff. But I think we learned a lot and this song yes. is one of the heaviest things that that group has ever has put out and the fact that it was a heavy thematic and instrumental song just ruled and i think they're calling all of the singers the maiden quartet which i think is is pretty interesting dang yeah, uh, we the the new song is called War, mm-hmm. and it's got Casey Williams, of course, Adrian Cohen, Don M. Bennett, and Aaron Riley uh, singing. And yeah, I've got the lyrics pulled up here, man, and it is, <laughs> yeah, like the um, Ironwood's theme from the last episode, Hero. That one hit me hit me where I live because I love that character so much. This one hits me because it's just so personal um because like it starts playing when elm sees vine's semblance break that's when the lyrics come in and i i don't know for sure but it wouldn't surprise me if dawn's the one that kicks off those lyrics in the song i don't know who's singing what verses but But, yeah yeah. that's what it sounds Uh, like yeah uh Never really had a problem with you. All along, I thought our friendship was true. Put my trust in you right from the start. I never dreamed you would be my enemy. The knife to take my heart. Yeah, <laughs> This stuff is so good. <laughs> because out of all of them, Marrow and Elm were the most friendly to the kids. Yeah. So, yeah. And you can definitely see it in in the, the duo fight. Uh, like... Elm and Harriet are the ones that are the most angry at Ruby's quote, Team Ruby's quote unquote betrayal. Yeah. So yeah, Katie. This I love this. This was just wild. And again, the fight choreography was unbelievably good. I do think the two on two fight was just my favorite because of the choreography and because I love seeing people play off each other. 
That said, I really appreciated Marrow trying to talk Weiss down. Trying to talk Weiss down. <laughs> of all people. Like, really? Very well. Honestly, of the four, I think she's the one that you would be the least likely to be able to talk down. Just because of her background and the shit she's had to deal with. But also, I... Building off of what his semblance, the rules for his semblance, I think it's whatever he can see at the time. Because we did have him doing it to an entire crowd, but that whole crowd was in front of him. True, and true, here true. he looks at Weiss and does it and then has to turn around and look at her summons and do it and that frees Weiss. So I think it's just one instance, whatever is within his field of vision that he can target. So fighting two, fighting a war on two fronts, as it were, means his semblance isn't just the be-all, end-all. I appreciate that we have rules for it now, as many as we can figure out. That's, that's why I, I would also equate it to there's, a, there's an ability in one piece called hockey where the sort of like higher tiered characters have this sort of just presence that affects various things and creatures around them. And the farther you are away from that scale, even just somebody's pre like, have you ever, have you ever been in the, the presence of somebody who just exudes just something and you just feel like a chill go down your spine. Now imagine that makes you faint. That's, <laughs> that's essentially a type of hockey that is, that is you. And that's H A K I not H O C K E Y. But it, it, it that's something that, I've equated it to, but I like all of this talk. This is all very good. We need a Ruby Compendium Part 2. <laughs> yeah, Fighter's Presence, Fighter's Aura, stuff like that. That is a long-running thing in Shonen series. Like that's That makes a hell of a lot of sense. But I, I appreciate this. And also, just at the end of it all, I really appreciate that our final blow is a full-on Wily e. Coyote run into us. <laughs> Solid wall. Like, I appreciate that. So much. <laughs> um, it it was a beautiful moment, um, and you know something that Weiss gets a lot of flack for. I, I think in the community is that she doesn't win fights on her own very often, and she unambiguously won <laughs> this fight. So MVP Weiss, go girl. And her fight with Mero. Yep. Like, yep. <laughs> just because she's really, really useful at support doesn't mean she can't DPS you into the goddamn <laughs> ground. She's multi-talented. So yeah, Weiss MVP for sure. Um, Katie, you mentioned your favorite moment was uh, the, the duo fight. And I have to say that my favorite moment, um, even though, uh, you know, we had this great moment of Weiss going like, this is my home, I'm not giving it up without a fight. Um, we have this great song, and we have a lot of cool grappling moves that Harriet um, was using on Ruby, and like, they had a really great, like, you mentioned Wiley Coyote, we, they had a really great Roadrunner chase scene, which was a lot of fun. I think my favorite moment has to be the moment where Yang activated her semblance and shattered the ground beneath her. That, to me, was just like... As as Mark was mentioning earlier, it's the culminate. You know, we've we've seen just how far her character has come because she took 
she took a few hits, waited for the opportune moment, and activated her semblance just like she learned how to do in her training in terms of waiting for the right moment. So that to me was just a really satisfying moment and was my favorite of the whole fight. Also, that animation. Dang! It was real pretty. It was real pretty. Uh, Mark, did you have a favorite moment? Uh, similarly, I I mean, Marrow being the most level-headed, was, I was a fan of that. I was a big fan. I'm always a fan of when they utilize sort of like grapple moves, whether it's like, I, I equate it to like a professional wrestling or a Lucha Libre or something, but uh, Harriet gave Ruby a head scissor takedown, which is, or her Karana, whatever you want to call it. And I was just like, yeah, wrestling. But um, <laughs> I love. No, it's always super cool. It's very Black Widow. I love the strategy of taking away Elm's base so that she couldn't dig into the ground. That was something that was happening, and they were they knew the strategy, and it depending on how plugged in you are, you figured it out either as she sort of lost her footing. Or as they were doing it, you're like, can she, can she still do, put her roots down? <laughs> and I love when, I lo- I like when you can follow something as it's happening, but I also like, it doesn't take away from the moment when it's revealed if you weren't following along, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where you can go back and go, oh, they set the stage for that. I just wasn't paying attention. I, I like that stuff as well too. So I, this fight just ruled. Stacy, favorite moment? Oh, it really, really did rule. Uh, similarly to Mark, I mean, watching their plan come together and just noticing, especially the second time through, the just joy on their face. It was just kind of that, <laughs> oh, we know what we're doing. Watch us outplay you. And then for them to execute it so beautifully. And shout out to the imagery of the scene where we see yang and blake in kind of a yin and yang like position as they deal with like the kind of finishing blow on elm like coming down yes. from yeah oh it was just beautiful uh that scene all together was just lovely but uh hell yeah for the strategy <laughs> <laughs> and I can appreciate that the turning point in this fight, like I didn't really have a concept of, okay, this is in this room and this is in this room until um, Vine went down and everyone stopped to look like, oh, that moment actually gave me a scale of how close together all these individual fights were for one. And also just that brief moment of, oh, time to kick it into overdrive <laughs> for everyone. Yeah, you know, during a boss fight, when the music changes, something big's about to go down. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's what happened. Um, yeah, this this whole thing was spectacular. Um, and, you know, it Team Ruby ends up being triumphant. And then we put a button on the whole scene with Team Ruby um, in the middle of sort of um, tying them all up when who should arrive on the scene but Pietro and Maria. <laughs> and one line out of Maria has made me miss her and and her fiery presence. Um, it, it made me realize how little she's actually been in this volume, and I've missed her tremendously. So what role do you think Pietro and Maria are going to play in the ultimate climax of this volume? 
and um, ultimately trying to put a stop to Ironwood's plan or defending against Salem. What's their play here? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. I don't know. I just want to talk about the comedic timing in this episode. <laughs> you um, can do that too. I wouldn't be surprised if Pietro was used to try to lift the block on their scrolls, get comms back online, get just, you know, the tech side of things. Um, this was a very intense, very heavy episode. And so I appreciate that we had these little teeny bits of comic relief in between there. So we could have that release before we went straight back into the deep end with all the sharks. Um, I appreciate like Harriet running into the wall was to me hysterical. Maria's pithy line about this is the point where they ask us to help. And not gonna lie, the bit with Tyrion just wearing the captain's hat. It was terrible, but it was also really fucking funny. So I can appreciate that even in the middle of all this madness, they're still like, we know you need to let some pressure off. Here's a funny thing. Okay, back to the show. <laughs> Stacy, how about you? I mean, I can only imagine the lead up to them walking into that hallway and finding that scene. They're like, oh no, the kids are in trouble. We're going to have to do something creative to like try to get them out of here. And here they round the corner, and now they're they're cool. <laughs> they got this. <laughs> this is the part where they ask us to help, right? And of course, Maria's like, "Well, I was going to help them anyways, but look at them doing it themselves. So I guess they're going to need me more now." <laughs> <laughs> and talking about like comedic timing of the moment, Weiss just dropping Marrow's legs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> beautiful it looked like there were no frames in between her holding them and them hitting the floor (laughs) the heaviest of like but i mean if you've ever seen a very tired dog just decide it was done and lie down that's basically what happens so (laughs) he's just sleeping he's just sleeping Oh, poor boy. What role do you think Pietro and Maria are going to play for the rest of the volume? I'll, I'll be honest. I, I don't know. I think the, the tech option is probably the the best one. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that I, I'm, I've been trying to find it. Somebody had left a theory that um, Pietro was going sort of, was gonna do a deep fake for the good guys, which is a terrible way to put that because nobody should be doing that. But some <laughs> some way to restore tech is a is a good theory i really i really don't have anything for that yeah i i feel like in some way shape or form maria and pietro are going to be helping um either installing atlas from ascending to the height that ironwood wants it to until the mantle evacuation is done or um and getting like word to the transports that they have to hurry it up or something along those lines. I, I feel like it's going to be something in regards to that. And since Maria is back and we had a very distinct beat of, you know, in the in the previous episode of Ruby's silver eyes going haywire, I I don't know, maybe Maybe it it's not the time for that, but maybe with Maria there, she can give her like some advice on how to more at will tap into the Silver Eyes power. Or maybe Maria can be like, huh, that's never happened before. <laughs> Sucks to be you, kid. I have no idea what to tell you. 
but some context for that moment would be really, really cool. Or maybe they can call in a favor and uh, a certain officer uh, in in the Kingdom of Atlas could bring her giant mech to help. That would be nice. Whoa. The one that's still broken? <laughs> uh, you never know. They might have a spare. She's going to go for a little swim. <laughs> That'd be nice. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, do we have any final thoughts on the, the Aesop showdown um, or any of these character interactions before we move on? Nope. All right. Let's go ahead and kick it on over to our Winter Maiden plot. So Winter and Penny also get word from Ruby. They they see the, the wanted pictures come up and it it is a very confusing kind of emotionally devastating moment for the both of them because Winter's just like, oh, Weiss, what sort of trouble did you just get into? <laughs> I can't leave you kids alone for five minutes. Um, and it creates this, um, this dynamic between the two of them of Penny thinking that leaving the people of Mantle to die is wrong and Winter kind of doubling down and saying, no, we have to keep doing what Ironwood asked of us. Um, and it, it creates this moment of tension between the two of them, uh, which is a nice callback to a couple episodes ago when it came to Penny telling Winter she should follow her heart and shouldn't be ashamed of it um, and didn't understand the need to conceal what you were feeling. So... Obviously, other things happen in this particular plot line, but what did we think of this particular beat where the two of them were were very much at odds? Let's go ahead and start with Mark. I mean, I don't, I don't really have a lot for this one either. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's teasing something. You know, we we talked about earlier in the season that we were sort of going to get a return to this conversation and here we are and i think we're waiting for the payoff of that return for the next episode something's gonna happen uh and, and i'll wait till we get to the later scene with these two as well but this is just a little more telling hey remember that conversation they had well something's gonna <laughs> happen that that's it was it was a nice scene that but i don't think they're gonna be acting upon any of this stuff until next episode stacy I liked this conversation in contrast to the Team Ruby Aesop's showdown, just in that we kind of started to see, with, with Ruby and the Aesop's, we got a cut and dry, okay, we're fighting now, There's this is how it stands and we are going for it. Now we actually had a moment to step back and kind of question that blind loyalty to kind of introduce the idea of, hey, yeah, you're, you're a career military, but you're also a person and Penny being kind of that voice of reason and as a callback to their earlier conversation, I think that was a conversation that we didn't get to have with the Aesops that it was nice to see start up with Winter because they're in a tough situation. Although, I must say, Winter automatically assuming that it was Weiss that did something <laughs> to get them around. <laughs> 
I mean, between the three of them as kids, I assume it was always Weiss that did something. It's fair. It, I think it's a fair assumption. I think she knows her sister pretty well. I was going to say, it's a, it's a big sister sense. <laughs> it's the, there's three kids. One of them is a troublemaker, at least. My oldest sibling senses are tingling. <laughs> my kid sister just did something very, very wrong. <laughs> oh my god, now what? Oh, this is being <laughs> reckless again. There's a disturbance yeah. in the force. Uh, <laughs> Katie, how about you? I appreciate having this conversation because, one, I think this was the only instance in which we could have actually had a conversation of this depth because at this time, this is the calmest it gets for anyone involved in this madness. And Penny is the exact right person to be asking these questions because she's still kind of figuring out the what does it mean to be human versus following orders. You know, it just She's the one still navigating these waters and asking questions and trying to figure it out. So she's the perfect person to ask these questions and not have it be like, why are we having this conversation now? Like, it fits with these two characters. And I think what Winter tells us about um, still, you know, your feelings do matter and being able to look at them and examine them and acknowledge them and how they are the understanding that, yeah, you're on the right path. I think that gives insight into what all of the Aesops are doing at this point, all five of them. Like, we see them make those decisions and act on them, but in this conversation with Winter, we get a little more of the why, and we get a little bit more about how a career military person thinks. Because you don't get to this level without going through a lot in the military, and it's a lot of loyalty, it's a lot of training, and... Let me tell you, IRL basic is a thing. Um, basic training, that is. And I, I mean, in my experience, I've lived with career military people. I was raised in a career military household. And being in the military for that long and getting to that high a rank, it does change how you think about things and how you act versus someone who has no military training and no experience. So for me, and for my experience IRL with military people through all different stages of their career, the decision-making and the writing for this episode in terms of our military characters tracks. This is spot on in terms of what we know for these characters as people and what we know for these characters as career military people, as soldiers as hand, a hand-picked squadron of the best of the best in this very military country. Like, to me, this all makes sense. This all tracks. I think what I really appreciate just about this particular conversation and about just a lot of the dynamics in general in this episode is a reoccurring theme of this volume is we don't know if we're doing the right thing. We ha we're trying to do the right thing, but ultimately we don't know what the consequences are going to be. You just have to make a decision based on what you think is best at any given moment and hope for the best. And we see different characters, different approaches to that and the consequences that result from that. And it's not as and you know hindsight's 2020 but there's never any way of knowing if making those different choices would have resulted in a different outcome 
And the fact of the matter is that no matter what you choose, you have to live with the consequences and then figure out what comes next. And that's not only like a reoccurring theme in this volume, that's just a fact of life, man. <laughs> that's just being an adult, trying to do the right thing, dealing with the consequences, and then dealing with whatever comes next. <laughs> so I, I just appreciate that. But um, but yeah, as, as Katie was mentioning, uh, this conversation carries on over into the chamber of the Winter Maiden, and they got her in one of those aura transfer machines, and it's pretty obvious that this is probably gonna kill her. And it's really sad that Winter points out, like, I hope the process is painless for her. When I, my mind goes back to the end of volume three, and Amber sure was screaming, so I don't hey. know. <laughs> so yeah, so this isn't good. So what if they subverted expectations and we do get the maiden fight that you predicted last last episode? I would be so happy, Dude, man. <laughs> looking at would make me happier. Like, it looks like Freya's stirring at the end mm-hmm. there. But <laughs> on top of that, did you see how they presented what she was wearing? So she was wearing a hospital gown with some sort of a wrap over it, but when it was just sort of a mid-shot of like her and then to her shoulders... It looked like she was wearing like a Mortal Kombat ninja like <laughs> outfit. Like and a sub So they got a fight. So it makes me think, yeah. <laughs> Get Ready. over here indeed. <laughs> oh, oh, Guys. Man. Scorpion versus Sub-Zero. <gasps> Round oh one. Oh my fight. God. <laughs> yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Uh, so yeah, Cinder, just as always, um, party crashes and wants to obtain for the th- quite quite literally. This is the third time she's busted into a chamber with the aim of stealing maiden powers. She just basically like, here's my mo. I'm gonna show up and commit a murder. No. How are you? Quite literally, this is the third time in seven volumes she busts into a place to be like, hey, I'm gonna take your maiden abilities. She's only been successful once. I should point out. Yes, against an opponent who was already half dead. <laughs> She's one for two. Uh, and as, as we pointed out, it's entirely possible that Freya is going to wake up and possibly even jump into the, the to the fight here. So I want to go ahead and pose this question, guys. Is third time's the charm? Is Raven gonna get herself killed in this fight? Well, Raven's uh, not here. Sorry. Is Cinder gonna get herself killed? <laughs> yeah, Raven just immediately pops in. Everybody gets one. <laughs> I mean, we do have a teleporter, and I would laugh my ass off if that happened. Just like, I felt a disturbance in the maiden force. <laughs> Excuse me, this is not okay. You're gonna stop right now. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I believe I laid claim to your life first, so let's finish this. Although it would be funny if Freya kills Cinder and Raven appeared and she's like, ha, ah, my work is done. And Winter and Penny are like, but you didn't do anything. <laughs> Tuxedo mask exit. Look, now that is uh, the Freya- only acceptable outcome. <laughs> Freya kills Cinder, gets the fall maiden powers, and then dies from the exertion and gives both powers to Winter. Or one to Winter and one to Penny. That would be a lot of fun. Hey, how fast do we have this main power going? It would be completely stupid, but I love it. Sorry, Stacey? How, 
I mean, it depends on how fast we have to get these maiden powers moved on, right? <laughs> Why not both in one? <laughs> Let's go. Believe- in the restaurant business, they call that turn and burn. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Mark? Is Cinder's luck about to run out? Nah, I think she's a she's an end gamer, you know. Um, yeah, it, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. She's yeah. not Roman. Anyone but you, Roman. <laughs> <laughs> I miss him. I miss him so much. Yeah, he was fun, but I'm not surprised. I like it all. Hey, should we pour another one out for Roman? No, <laughs> no, because my bottle's empty. <laughs> I'm sorry. I drank it all while you weren't looking. <laughs> That's okay. We have a full bar. No, I was I was implying that I drank it all. Oh, did you drink another one? How many bottles are back here? Enough. Because I drank a full bottle, and you, you drank, drank a full one, bottle. And he drank one. Who's flying the plane? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I was good. All right. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Um, do we have any final thoughts on Winter, Penny, and Cinder and how this is all going to shake out? Because, guys, this entire plot line has given me personal feelings. I have never heard anyone say personal feelings in much the same way that another person might say, fuck you. <laughs> so I really appreciate that delivery. Truly amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of let's, Roman. <laughs> speaking of Roman, uh, let's move on over uh, to Jean, Ren, and Nora, who they get the message, Oscar's not there. And guys, what proceeds, I'm not going to lie, is a moment that for a second gave me a heart attack because they see Oscar down the hall with the lamp and Nora gets uncomfortably close and then we get oscar coming from around the corner he looks like he's been beaten to hell and back and he decks neo in the face and it is oh so satisfying and what is about to proceed looks like it's going to be a neo versus team juniper fight including oscar which On the one hand, I'm really excited about because there's been a lot of, you know, he's been training a lot this volume. On the other hand, this is Neo we're talking about, and even outnumbered, she's not necessarily one to be... I mean, she was going toe-to-toe with a maiden for a good long while, um, and she bested Yang back in volume two. So guys, how is this going to shake out? Let's start with Mark. I mean, technically this is Juniper... With Oscar yeah. Pine, so it's yep. still Juniper. <laughs> it's still Juniper. Semantics. I, I, to be completely honest, the the way that the show ended today, even though it, it was something, it was a version of something that we were expecting, has really thrown me off. Like in terms of what we're gonna get, I think also because I was right about a couple of things. Like, it's it's just a thing of like, oh, they're actually there. Well, where do we go from there? And and it's one of those things where I just want, I, I legit just want to see how it turns out. Because we're going to see, we're either going to see Oscar fail and it, t- and it hit him pretty hard in terms of him feeling like he's ready because he's gotten all of this training. And either it's going to fail and Oz isn't going to pop back out or Oz is going to pop back out. 
in some way, shape, or form. Th- that that's what I f- I think it's going to. Be, this is we've been hearing a lot of uh, feeling a lot about uh, season three, and I think this is going to be another whole spectrum how to deal with loss. It'll be just like Beacon again. <laughs> yeah, what? I think I think they're trying to echo that. I think that's that's a fair guess. Uh, Stacy, how about you? Yeah, the thing with Neo is she's such just chaos, and it makes things unpredictable, and it makes me nervous. So as awesome as seeing Oscar punch her out of her illusion. I am very nervous about how easily, A, how easily she let that happen if she was not genuinely surprised, and B, what she has in store for Team Juniper. And and to that end, something I didn't mention is the performance of the don't, or the, the stop, the like, I can't remember the line because the emotion was so clear. It could have been anything, but the emotion of of oscar reacting to what could have almost happened is enough to set to stand on its own and would have been i think my most memorable part of this episode if not for what happens later yeah aaron dimsgate pulled it the fuck out this season he's doing a really good job um i think we're going to have a very violent game of keep away on our hands because <laughs> Neo's goal isn't to kill these guys. Cause Ruby's not here. Neo's goal is to get the lamp and get out. And she was almost there. And then Oscar, I assume got knocked down and then got back up again. Cause they're never going to keep him down <laughs> and foiled that particular plan. So I think we are in for one hell of a game of keep away. We don't know what else Neo can pull out for all that we've seen of her. We still don't know very much about her as a person and her talents. And there's also the Chekhov's gun of Oscar talking to Ruby a few episodes ago. I still haven't unlocked my semblance. So that's sitting on the mantelpiece there. Chekhov's, it's also a gun. So we'll see. This could end incredibly poorly. This could also end fairly well, but I have no idea. This could also be the last that we see of these characters in this season. If we go full cliffhanger, this could be it. If I may posit a theory. No. Uh, oh, okay. I guess we're moving on. <laughs> so um, I need another no. drink before you start your theory. <laughs> and done. Um <laughs> Uh, but uh, if I may posit a theory, Mark, you said that uh, we've, we've talked a lot about echoing volume three. Um, that's been very intentional, this volume. And it's it's definitely no coincidence that we're hitting a lot of those same sort of emotional beats. Um, I think that as another parallel to volume three, how did that particular volume end? Well, one of the, the climactic moments of it was Cinder killing Pyrrha and that activating Ruby's silver eyes. I don't necessarily think that in this particular moment, one of Team Juniper is going to die again, but I could very easily see a situation where Jean, Ren, or Nora 
is put in danger or gets stabbed by Neo's umbrella, something along those lines. And Oscar, instead of activating his semblance, gets access to Oz's magic. So that's that's a thought. I, I, I don't know whether or not that's where we're going, but given all the parallels of, you know, two volume three, I could very easily see, especially since Oscar very much is in kind of Ruby's shoes from that volume, with the exception of having a semblance and everything like that. He's the newbie. He's the youngest there. He's the most inexperienced and has magical abilities that he just doesn't have access to yet and isn't to be honest probably isn't necessarily 100% aware of so I could definitely see a parallel in that regard I don't know if that's too out there no 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 of course not I I think similarly to to that um I think what happened at the end of season three was so tragic because also our team wasn't ready for that and now as they're gearing up for a situation that is reminding them a lot of the fall of Beacon, they're, I think they're more prepared for it. And I think there will be a higher percentage of success, even though we already have a bit of a percentage of failure. I think that's a fair assessment. All right. Are we in for Pyrrhic victory part two? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I think you will pass. Oh, man, not again. Mm. <laughs> All right. Um, well, you can only be lucky for so long. Uh, and speaking of luck running out, uh, we need to start talking about um, the the more serious aspect of our discussion tonight. Um, but before we do that, I want to talk to you guys really quickly about iTunes. Folks, thank you so much to everybody who's gone to iTunes to rate and subscribe and leave a comment. We love hearing from you, and it does a lot to help us make this more searchable uh, when people are looking for Rooster Teeth-related content. Uh, it does a lot. It does a great deal for our analytics, and we really appreciate it. And to be honest, it just kind of brightens up our day, and we like to give shout-outs to people who do leave comments. So, Mark, uh, I believe we have a new one this week. Yo, we totally do. And this one is a heavy hitter. Really <laughs> want to thank. Uh, he's a mod on our Discord. And they left a... They, they were also live tweeting, their, listening to our most recent episode, which was very entertaining. Uh, Malachroma, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, he left a review on iTunes. And it's a little long, but we really appreciate that. Um, five stars. Malachroma. Look, sometimes you just run out of discussion for a Ruby episode and that weekly drought between episode releases. The subreddit runs dry, the tumblers are empty, and there's nothing to tide you over in those terrifying gaps in between Saturdays. In those dark in-between days, Rooster Team Radio is like an oasis in a desert, providing in-depth analysis of episodes from various Rooster Teeth shows and properties, including Ruby and Camp Camp, as well as killer work on their own Welcome to Vale, a Welcome to Night Vale style pair... Whoa. Sorry, I rushed through that. A Welcome to Night Vale styled parody radio show that views to that views to world of remnant that views the world of remnant, excuse me, through a more surreal, humorously macabre lens. I've been keeping up with the team's work since the early days of the Ruby Afterbuzz, and I can't think of a better RT-related fan podcast. Clever, thoughtful analysis, excellent punmanship. Hashtag Let Katie pun, and you can't see it, but it's totally happening. Dabs, and there's. <laughs> 
there's another one. It's hard to imagine wanting anything more out of your post-episode discussion podcast. Thank you, Malachroma. We really, really appreciate your listenership. My heart is full of rainbows right now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mal. You're the best. Uh, but there are other ways to engage with us as well. Uh, we have a Discord, as we mentioned, and you can join that in the link below. Uh, lots. We we had a really a lot of really great discussion topics um, for the last episode that came directly from our Discord. So join that, join in the conversation. But you can also interact with us on Twitter, and uh, I believe we have a few Twitter shoutouts this week. We do have some, yes. Um, we also got a lot of people joining the Discord within the past week. Not all yes. robots. Um, Hello. But um, we have a lot of people uh, specifically talking about the Sadic or Conspiracy Corner <laughs> as new listeners. So also thank you to uh, all of the new people who have joined the R-Team family, the RTR family. Uh, Daryl Murray uh, tweeted a an extensive theory about um so the the channel art for crunchyroll has a slice through the b which is positing people to think that something bad is going to happen to blake our hearts can only take so much this season but uh daryl has a theory on what's going to happen and uh who is actually behind it so i want to thank them um and we've got um, Maxis Fox twenty three, uh, who uh, was looking forward to the discussion for this most recent one, and, and positing that they're going to see you on the sad sofa. Uh, we got stuff from <laughs> uh, T and Vines. We got stuff from Chicken King, uh, Andrew Fedge, who who is an old favorite, uh, Giga Derek. Um, yeah, we got a lot of interaction with folks this week, and it just goes to show that. Um, oh, oh, and of course, I I definitely wanted to shout them out too. Um, our our good friend Addison Steele, twenty four hour call center, uh, yeah! spread, spreading that love and making sure that uh, uh, people listen to the show. It's been a minute uh, since we talked to y'all directly, but we're happy that y'all are still listening to the show. So thank you to everybody who's been listening. You guys are the absolute best, and we can't thank you enough. Uh, in whatever way you choose to support us, whether it's joining our community and engaging in the conversation, just interacting with us on Twitter, or if you support us on Anchor with a monthly subscription, or if you buy stuff from our Public, it, it really, it, it means a lot to us. No matter what you do to engage with us, it means the world that there are people that listen to our conversation and take what we say to heart and laugh along with our jokes. It it means so, so much to us, and we can't thank you all enough. So thank you all so, so much for listening. All right, everybody. As Katie said, our luck has run out. Mm. And all right, it's time to sit down. I mean, hmm, guys, what do you think about a karaoke corner in in the far back over there, but in instances like this, we use it as like a TED Talk stage, or or we get like a literal box, and it can be the soapbox corner or something. I don't know. I feel like something needs to be remodeled here for when we need to sit down and have a grown-up talk. Oh, I was just gonna <laughs> sing. Anything when it comes to like more adult conversations, you know, I think of Moral Oral when he and his dad, they're in his study. 
So maybe it's just the study. <laughs> oh, I was thinking like the adult talk alcove. <laughs> That's... That sounds a little salacious. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, we've already <laughs> got a couple of ways. Um, we could go into the static. Uh, we we could sit down on a sad sofa. There's a, the no, no, no nook. Um, I think we're past <laughs> the no, no, no nook at this point. I feel like we spent most of the weekend there, and now we have to move out and process. And moving out into the love loft was a step backwards, Megan, so thank you for coming down. Or we could just stay here at the bar in the conspiracy corner, because yeah. this is where the alcohol is. Yeah, I'm down. Can I stay uh, there and still bundle up in all my blankets and hide from everything? Yeah. Bar architecture. Yep, okay. we're doing it. All right, I've got my blanket too. <laughs> don't don't feel bad, Stacy. Um, so yeah, it's at this point in the show that we're going to be discussing the Crow and Clover, Tyrion and Robin side of the plot. Um, be, where ultimately the the wanted warrant goes out, and Clover decides that he needs to detain. Uh, he needs to detain Crow. It immediate the situation immediately escalates when Robin chooses to sort of forego all of the back and forth talk because Ironwood's about to leave Mantle to die, and she attacks him. The scuffle begins. Tyrion escapes, crashes the plane. Which, not gonna lie, that image of him with the the captain's with hat, all the captain's hat, it was pretty funny. <laughs> it, it was darkly comedic. Um, yeah. And then Robin's incapacitated in the crash, and what follows is a three-way fight between Crow, Clover, and Tyrion, which ultimately culminates in Clover getting killed and Tyrion escaping. Now, I just went over a lot there (laughs) because it was a lot to happen. Half the episode, it's fine. There is a lot to unpack in this particular sequence. And as we alluded to at the top of the show, we are going to be talking about some sensitive topics here within this discussion. So let's just go ahead and get sort of our initial thoughts on this particular fight scene and how it went down. Um, Let's go ahead and start with Mark. So this this fight scene, you you want to look at just choreography, that's great. I think it, it's hard it's hard to talk about something that's like a favorite part, but I liked how distinct each character's strategies were. It wasn't just hey we're all gonna fight let's fight. It was uh, Robin trying to. Like I need to, I need to go back to saving people. I need to get back to mantle. I got to take care of business. It was crow. I, <laughs> I mean, essentially everybody having a reason to take care of business, but everybody's reasons and style differing. And then you look at Tyrion, and it's just a hazy question mark. <laughs> Tyrion um, came out slash, to attack people, and he's having such a good time right now. Yeah, I like the only reason that I could come up with him was for the lulls. So other yeah. other than that, it's re- legit. But I like how distinct each of these characters were in the highest of high tense situations. Yeah, I have to concur. This entire sequence uh, was a nail biter and I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. And when it was done, I was completely and utterly speechless and I have I have several issues with it, um, but like 
ultimately, it like it was very emotionally impactful. Uh, Stacy, what did you think? This is one of the most tense setups I think mm. that we've had in a while. I, I mean, I know it had to do with the confined space. The as the audience, we already knew that their ideals were in very different places, and this really was a moment where their ideals were laid bare and we saw four different ideals going toe to toe as they each tried to do what they had to do and keeping true to themselves and carrying forward. And the way that we saw it play out managed to be surprising while still keeping completely in line with the characters that we have seen over the past volumes, over the past episodes. Katie? This is what happens when you have a bunch of different alignments in the party and then give them differing goals. You realize just how different lawful good and neutral good truly are, and it doesn't help that the little chaotic evil bastard back there is making all of his charisma checks. Um, yeah, I thought this was very well written. I thought that what we saw worked really, really well with the characters as we know them. We know that everyone is stretched to their breaking point. We, I'm touching back on the career military mindset. We know what Clover's going to do the second the order comes down the line. And then it also makes sense that Robin is just 100% done with everyone's shit. So when we're trying to do a little bit of peacekeeping and Tyrion pipes up like, you're taking forever to get to the good part, like, the last thing you should be doing is agreeing with the serial killer in the corner. But when they're saying what you're thinking, it's kind of hard not to. And Tyrion spent a chunk of this episode saying what other people were thinking. One of those things where maybe if it hadn't been said out loud by someone else, it never would have been acted on. But once those words are in the air, they are actionable. Because yeah, that's how you're feeling and you've got some support. Even if the support's coming from the wrong person. So to me, as much as I was yelling about everyone being dumb... They were all very much in character, and you could, just the way that all these characters have been developed over this season, you could see this house of cards falling apart. And it worked really, really well to very unfortunate consequences. Like, I bought the whole thing, but I kind of wish I'd kept the receipt because I don't want it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't want it. This isn't Coles. I can't take it back without a receipt. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, Mark, both you and Katie have been predicting basically all volume that Clover was going to bite the dust. I predicted Tyrion would get out. I predicted the semblance would come into play. I predicted a lot of this shit. It's it's Ugh. one of those things where you're like, I was right, but not like this. <laughs> not like cost? this. Yeah. Um, and... I, I think now's the, the best time to go ahead and stop dancing around the issue and to address the elephant in the room. Uh, this particular scene um, has caused a lot of issues for certain people because of the the sort of in the interpretation that uh, this volume was hinting at a 
bisexual orientation for Crow and that Crover a uh, Crover. Oh my gosh, no, I just ship that's name. a I'll take it. <laughs> that's a bad ship name. No, fair game. The idea that fair game was going to become canon because of the the interactions that they've had all volume, the way they their semblances balance each other out. And so a lot of people, myself included, were sort of just assuming that fair game would become canon. And of course, and with that interpretation of these characters, Clover getting killed feels like it is an instance of bury your gaze. And as a result, people are upset about that. And I, I don't think that it's, I don't think it's unreasonable to be upset about that, uh, but I wanted to go ahead and get your guys' takes before we sort of um, really kind of dig into the nitty gritty of the issue. And first and foremost, before we begin discussing this, we want to just go ahead and point out that wherever you stand on these particular interpretations of the characters, your feelings are valid, and however you feel about this episode, your feelings are valid. Like, don't let anybody take that away from you, and we are not trying to talk over you <laughs> in any capacity. Don't let anybody make you feel less for however you feel about this episode. Um, so how do we feel about this particular controversy? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. I'll start with, from a text-only view for for only what has been said in the show specifically, we haven't heard anything about either of their orientations. No one has confirmed or there's no confirmation as to what any of their orientations are. And with that lack of confirmation, in terms of just cut and dry textbook cases, it's not necessarily a case of barrier gaze. That said... What is the point of taking something completely literally and ignoring any and all subtext? Like, you can do that, and it works for academic papers, and it's a valid interpretation, but its validity does not mean that others are not valid as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a hard one to look at, and I say that as someone who was pulling for the ship and who was very upset that it's not going to happen and who is really going to miss Clover. I don't think this was malicious, because Kruby is not malicious. We've, they've said enough in interviews and online, uh, they're, they're not malicious about this. It's not, we're going to kill off this character specifically to hurt these underrepresented people and to perpetuate a harmful trope. That's, that's not their reasoning for doing any of this. They're not spiteful people. So it's, it's a hard thing to talk about, and I do want to fall back on, yes, if you interpreted it that they were gay or bi or in a relationship regardless, then yeah, it feels like barrier gays, and that hurts a lot. And if you feel that way, that's valid. We're not going to sit here and tell you that your pain doesn't count, because it does feel your feelings. There have been, I'd need to go look up the source for this again, but there have been studies that say that people mourn fictional characters in much the same way they mourn fellow humans in real life. So yeah, feel your feelings. Understand that not everyone feels the same way that you do and that your feelings are not an excuse to be abusive to anyone else. But yeah, absolutely feel your feelings, process them, just 
It's hard. It's hard. Stacy? I think everyone, to that point, everyone interacts with, you know, the media they consume, the characters that they watch in different ways, and you identify qualities and in a society that has extreme underrepresentation across media, across the board, there are a lot of times when characters become relatable and you see yourself in these characters. And yes, while there was not on the board text, you know, written word, I absolutely see the subtext. Um, You know, I was into the ship myself because you can read into it and absolutely see where it's coming from. And so I get the pain and the hurt feelings that this turn of events took place. Uh, Whereas, yes, I do think we look at it from a multitude of angles. And again, from a multitude of experiences, my personal, you know, viewpoint and experiences shape how I look at characters just as they do how all of us look at characters. But how you react to that and how you feel, you don't ever have to apologize or feel like you're overreacting. And so I also don't think there was malicious intent on the part of Kruby. I think this is always a growing experience and often not moving forward necessarily as fast as underrepresented groups would like or need but there are strides that we should recognize while still absolutely seeing you know every feeling is valid absolutely mark okay so i'm going to try to be as clear and as open as possible I'm echoing everybody's sentiments in terms of your feelings are valid. I do not, please do not think that I'm trying to invalidate any of those things. I know that I'm very open about not being a shipping person. I've said in previous episodes that regardless of where this relationship ends up, it just, it's just nice to see Crow having a positive male figure in his life because we've seen how he's sort of recovering from his relationship with Oz and, and how that sort of recontextualized where he fits in the world. And as a quote, freedom fighter or whatever you want to put his role. And then with Leo and then with, with James now starting to be a thing and regardless of how you feel. So I, I always thought that this, at the very least was going to be a friendship. If this led to something bigger, I wasn't going to be against it because as Katie said, there's nothing on paper that has confirmed or denied any of these characters' sexualities. And what I will say is in the, in the volume and in the show, we are in mid arc. We do not know where this is going to end up. We do not know how this relationship is going to affect Crow moving forward. Um, 
if if he's going to how he's going to see his relationships with everybody moving forward is he going to be more of a solo entity or will he find that someone no matter who it is to to go to take that extra step in a relationship with we don't know you know this is a show in process it's something that and and i guess this is a weird weird way to do it but forgive me it's it's a world that i'm way too familiar with it reminds me of story beats in professional wrestling where this show there is a live two to three hour television program every week forever like there's <laughs> like legit it's you you're writing these stories and whenever people see something happen on a particular monday that they don't like they never think oh in two weeks this was building to something in two weeks and similarly to everybody being okay i'm not going to say similarly but on a different page we were talking earlier about volume three and we have now seen how Pyrrha's death has affected these characters. We have seen the death and return of Penny and how that is affecting these characters. This is, like it or, love it or leave it, this is a story about Team Ruby and how all of these relationships affect our main characters and the influences of these side characters affecting them as a team and as our main heroes. And oh, okay, um, I I I'm gonna say this. I I don't think this sounds harsh. I think this is this is relatively reasonable. I I want to say again, I am not trying to invalidate your opinion. I think your feelings are valid. Um, but I just like to put the idea out there that the creators and the writers are not responsible for managing the expectations of fans. Do we need more representation, uh, MLM rep representation, LGBTQ representation? Of course, always. Just because this door has closed does not mean that another door is currently under construction. You know what I mean? On some level, sure. If you if it there was a lot more overt that they were heading towards a relationship or the building blocks of a relationship, then it would be a much bigger problem that we would be dealing with right now. But at this rate, as somebody who, and I'm saying myself, as somebody who identified just a nice male relationship, it, it's it feels like the the the, the uh, creative team can't develop platonic friendships anymore without ships starting to come into it and and i just i just wanted to put that out there i think especially in this day and age friendship can be just as important as the the representation that a lot of us need because positive male friendships like even they're usually tied to like action movies so they're like hyper testosterone and this and that but the the way that these two talked on camera i felt was something that a lot a lot of people need to see regardless of orientation or representation but i think 
there is still the opportunity for more representation down the road in this show. I would like to concur with that and add a point on. Um, this is a show that has already given us two outspoken canon lesbians who, at the moment, far as we know, are still doing pretty well. So they're... Four. 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 John's sister and her Oh, partner. that's yeah. right. Yeah. I was just thinking of uh, Elia and Coco. But yeah, we we have four lesbians. We We are due for some MLM, absolutely. But... This is a show that has not been shy about being outspoken about its re representation, and therefore I do have hope that we will have more and that they will be very clear about it. Additionally, your ship doesn't have to be canon for you to ship it and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no need for canon validation. Do what you want. Have no expectations for what the story will do in terms of your romance. And honestly, you'll enjoy the shipping better. You don't need canon to validate your ship in order to enjoy it. And if you feel that you do, I would encourage you to take a step back and really think about why you feel that way. Um, to sort of add to... to this is a multifaceted discussion, so to add an extra layer to that, um, Mark, you were talking about um, expectations of content creators, and not to not to plug another show that I do, um, <laughs> but uh, at the at the very beginning of um, I do a podcast called No Love Lost, where uh, Will Link and I talk about. Um, lost in in terms of like a retrospective of like going back and seeing what the what the big deal was and I have a perpetual sort of issue with the show of how it treats a lot of its female characters and not to go on too much of a tangent I do have a point I promise um but uh towards the start of season two uh a female character got killed off um, very, very abruptly, uh, just as she was starting to get some character development. And it, because um, it tied into our larger discussion of how female characters are treated on the show, I posed a question to Will. I, I asked him, do you think creators owe their audiences anything? And... Uh, because he's also a novelist, and I think this question very much... Uh, up applies to us as well given that we write uh some of our own original stuff as well and um we got into a discussion about it and the discussion that we we sort of kind of landed on was writers do have like kind of a an overall social responsibility to be inclusive but as far as specific creators owing specific things to their audiences the only thing that a content creator owes you is their very best effort to tell the best story that they can. And Kruby has always done that from the very start. Um, from the very start of this show. That's what they've always tried to do and they've always tried their best to tell the best story that they possibly can. And, um, but you you were talking about how you know, uh, again, expectations uh, from fans. 
and about how that sort of applies to shipping. I fully admit that (laughs) uh, shipping fangirls like myself who like to ship everything under the sun, we can get a little carried away. And for people in the younger crowds, that can be sort of a little problematic when, you know, those, you know, people who are younger and have less experience get really enthusiastic about their ships and the ships that don't work out. And that can be a big problem. That being said, that should never be equated to genuine critique from gay audiences. And part of the reason why this was such a big issue and why this, I think, came across as so hurtful to some people was because MLM representation is so lacking. It, it's lacking in Ruby. And it's just, uh, as Stacy alluded to, it is lacking in media representation as a whole. So much so that people get over-enthusiastic when there's even the mere hint that two male characters might be into each other or might be attracted to one another. And so I don't necessarily want to put the onus on fans who are just desperate for any sort of representation to see themselves on screen. I don't necessarily think that's entirely fair either. Um, and so it's it's kind of condescending to just be like, oh, you know, you're just mad your ship didn't happen. Um, because while that may be true of straight fangirls like myself, um, but it's, it's not true of gay audiences and so the two shouldn't be equated. Um, So this is kind of a multifaceted issue, but that being said, it's also not necessarily to put, it's not all, it's also not necessarily fair to put the full onus of all media representation on Kruby, who are doing the best they can to put on the best show that they can. And um, so again, this is, this is tied into a larger issue at whole, as a whole, and if we dial into Ruby representation in and of itself, we we do have several canon um, LGBTQ characters. We have May Marigold, who is our first trans character this volume. And we have obviously Coco and Elia and Jean's sister and her partner. And um, we also have Scarlet. Um, the problem with some of these uh, some of these characters, and not to say that all this isn't wonderful representation because it is, but the problem with some of this is that not all of these are on screen and not all of them are made explicit on screen. Like, if it wasn't for Twitter, I wouldn't know that May Marigold was a trans character just because it's not, like, no attention is brought to it. And I think that's both a good and bad thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's good that we don't have to dwell on it, that that's not the end-all, be-all of that character, that, like, that character is not boiled down to their gender identity or their sexuality. But instead, you know, it's the fact that they're a member of the Happy Huntresses, and I think that's fantastic. <laughs> um Uh, And same with Scarlet. Scarlet is the, as far as I know, the only MLM representation in Ruby proper, the only confirmed representation. And he's kind of a non-entity in the show. So that's kind of not really fair either. And the only way you would know that is if you picked up one of the manga anthology books. And I think, again, I think the representation in Ruby is great. And, you know, the that the fact that 
we're seeing more and more of it is a wonderful step in the right direction. And I think that Rooster Teeth as a whole becoming better with representation is also a very good thing. Um, But it's also important to acknowledge where those areas of representation are lacking. And I think Rooster Teeth across the board in all of their productions is lacking in MLM and by representation. I will say really quickly that I just, I just totally remembered Camp Camp, Arid's Two Dads. Yes! The Millers. I think that that's a very positive relationship that Rooster Teeth has put out there. Yeah, absolutely. They are very, very funny. Yes. <laughs> Ryan Haywood so, voicing so cool. both of them. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> and they raised one cool daughter. They mm-hmm. did. Um, Stacy, um, we were talking a little bit offline about how it's also important not to boil any particular character down to just their orientation. Do you want to elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, I think, and especially in Clover's particular case, I think the Kruby did a phenomenal job of giving us a very well-rounded character to where it's very difficult to boil his death down to an irrelevant cause I think we were given uh, this. This is what I wrote down immediately after watching uh, the episode and kind of realizing what was going to happen. Uh, the quote that kind of came to mind was, "When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time." Mm-hmm. And so I sat there hoping, like, "Oh, Clover's Clover's going to do the right thing. He's going to side with Crow." And then there was a split second where maybe I believed it, and then no. His blind loyalty kicked in. We saw Clover continue to act very much in the pattern that we've seen throughout the volume. So we've, we know how he reacts to things. We know how he views orders and what he prioritizes. And I think acknowledging that that is a very large facet of his personality and character and sense of self that we saw repeatedly also deserves to be brought to attention when discussing this plot point in this particular moment and what led up to it. Especially because I think that the crew, the writing team, did such a great job setting up these expectations and then having them play out in surprising and yet still understandable ways. It paralleled the first episode of this season pretty much directly that Clover and the Aesops arrested Team Ruby and company for unlicensed weapon use, even though they were doing it to fight Grimm and protect the people of Mantle. Like, nope, you still broke the rules, you're still getting arrested. They're still the same people working on those same thoughts and making those same decisions. And this is how it played out. I think you're absolutely right. And then looking at Crow, like, well, why would Crow make that decision? If you're watching that fight and looking at Clover being in the middle of the two versus one, if Crow had not taken Tyrion's offer, he would have been in the middle of that two versus one. And at that point, it's just survival. Well, and at (laughs) at that point, too, Clover has already flat out said that oh team ruby is in danger and what do you do to make crow do anything who would crow do 
anything for. The His girls. Nieces. Exactly. So, you know what? Yeah, him, he realized pretty fast on that Clover was not going to stop, that Clover's blinders were on, he was following orders, did not recognize Tyrion as the bigger threat, whether that was just from lack of experience or simply because orders overrode everything else. That was a tough choice to make, but I can absolutely see why Crow made it. Yeah, and he... Clover does know Crow better as a person and as a fighter, and then their fight against Tyrion uh, less than half an hour ago went by extremely quickly. So it makes sense that Clover would assess Crow as the bigger threat in this situation when we on the other side of the fourth wall who have been watching him go for a while are going, uh, no, no, but we have the benefit of the experience and also the other side of the fourth wall. So it makes sense for him to make that judgment and act on it. And unfortunately, he did not have all the information that we do or that Crow did. And he wasn't about to listen to Crow because, hey, Crow needs to be apprehended on sight. Orders from the general. So it's a rough situation to watch, but you can follow all of these decisions that everyone is making and it all just lines up. Would it have been different if Robin was still awake? Maybe. Who knows? But th that's not what happened. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation. It was a tense situation, um, to be sure. Um, to sort of echo something that uh, Katie mentioned earlier this season, you also, you know, if we are operating under the uh, assumption that these are LGBT characters... Uh, LGBTQ characters um, like we we also discussed earlier this volume about how you can't necessarily give characters plot armor just based on their orientation uh, because then you run the risk of making them infallible or and which is not how human beings are so you you to maybe maybe it's a false equivalency but there's another kind of negative trope out there which is the magical negro character which is you know swinging super far in the other direction you know p content creators trying to so far so hard to not be harmful in their tropes that they instead by accident created a completely different type of stereotype um so you don't necessarily want to swing that far in the other direction when you're writing instances of representation. And I know that that might be a false equivalency, and I, I understand that. But at the end of the day, you do have to treat all of your characters as people. That being said, when it comes to writing minorities in particular, and I say this as, as a minority myself, as a woman of color, and as somebody who really loves scary movies, um, like, you need to acknowledge when, a when there is a harmful trope with a long, hurtful history. So it's not super black and white. You can't give a person plot armor based on whatever minority they happen to be, but you also need to acknowledge when there are hurtful when there are hurtful tropes with long, terrible histories. And like I said, that's something you come across in the horror genre quite a bit um, when it comes to minority characters. So 
believe me, I understand. Um, it's not, it's not a super black and white issue. It's not super cut and dry. And as not to, not to reiterate too much, but I, I think we're wrapping up this discussion pretty much and not, not to, not to hog the mic or or stand on my soapbox too much, but just to kind of reiterate, it doesn't seem to have been a malicious choice on the part of Kruby. Um, we've interviewed the Miles and Carrie and Monty and Eddie numerous times. And even though we've never gotten to meet Kiersey, she, the fact that she's a part of this team, uh, says a lot. We've interviewed them numerous times and, uh, on our previous platform at one point, very, very early on in Ruby's career, um, back all the way back in volume two, I believe, um, we had an interview with Monty who made it very, very clear during that interview that LGBTQ representation was something that was always going to be a part of Ruby. And I think the crew has done a, a great job in the interim time, in the volume after volume, they're getting better and better at, you know, at being inclusive there are definitely still blind spots and there are definitely areas of improvement but representation is clearly something that's very important to the to the cast and crew and even outside of that even outside of like the time we spent interviewing them the people who make this show are super kind caring and empathetic people like they don't have a malicious bone in their body. So, and I think we can just all say that based on just our own interactions with them. They are incredibly kind people. And so writing sort of something, and and they're aware. They're aware of harmful tropes. And so this wasn't something that was meant to harm. And that's why you kind of need to look at the authorial intent here. That being said... Because of the subtext that's there, and I am also a firm believer, even though I can listen to uh, from now until the cows come home, uh, from the writers and creators of the show about what goes into certain decisions and why, and how they come about brainstorming and everything like that, I can listen to that from now until forever. I'm also a firm believer in death of the author. And so if, because of the subtext that's there, if you happen to perceive these characters as LGBTQ characters, that is a valid interpretation and you have every right to be upset by this. Um, But it's also important to recognize that because Hurt wasn't their intent, they are allies and representation is important to them. Hopefully, you know, we can all take this as a learning experience. And because, as Mark said, the show's not over yet. We don't know what role this is going to play in the future of this show. Hopefully, uh, there will be more opportunities for MLM representation in meaningful ways in future volumes. In the meantime, you can critique this show without harassing the crew or stealing joy from the people who did enjoy it. And if you weren't hurt by this on the completely other end of the spectrum, if you enjoyed it, if you had a grand old time, if this didn't affect you in any way, shape, or form, be mindful of others' feelings and don't rub this plot point in their faces. 
be mindful of how it might have hurt them, and be sensitive to that. Your feelings are valid, but they also don't give you an excuse to hurt someone else. Mm -hmm. Regardless of where you fall on this issue. Yes. Um... Yeah, I, I, uh, sorry to pontificate. <laughs> sorry to hog the mic. Sorry to be on the soapbox. Um, does anybody have any final thoughts? Agreeing with not attacking the writers, with not without with attacking Kruby, because we we would we would go into we would get into this on our previous platform as well in terms of we would learn what questions to ask and what not to ask, and that's not to say that it's not worth talking about amongst yourselves and amongst the fandom but there are certain questions that will be tied to future story that may be tied to um something that's going to get revealed down the line and it may be something that directly involves this plot point if you ask and they don't answer or don't acknowledge or whatever that's not because they're ignoring you that's because one, they're trying to maintain that story. Two, on a more straight-up level, they've signed non-disclosure agreements and they cannot talk about anything <laughs> that, that has appeared or will appear in the show. So be mindful when you're when you're talking to these folks. I know, and, and this isn't this isn't supposed to be a blanket statement or to mention y'all directly, but there are since there are so many more reactors, there are so many more um, budding press folk. I'll put it like that. There are more people that are are trying to position themselves in places of press, which, you know, you, you got to get that hustle, got to get that grind. I totally understand. Um, let's just keep the conversation positive. Let's, let's not try to ask gotcha questions where you put people in a bad situation or try to get them to say a sound bite or or whatever be mindful be respectful and and to to quote uh, uh nintendo directs which is a weird place to go with this please understand that these are all people actors too i would say not just the writing staff but actors if you see them at a con like you know, we've talked to them a lot as well, too, where sometimes they see stuff for the first time as it premieres. So they may want to commiserate with you, but keep it civil. Just be kind and create a positive experience for the community, for the actors, for the team behind it. And let's just stay super positive because um, there's some symbolism at the end of this scene that I wanted to point out and... It was very visual, it was very dramatic, but it had hit me as uh, as the scene was wrapping up, the sun started to rise. And to me, that reminded me of the saying, night is darkest just before the dawn. And hopefully, the the, the, the symbolism of that moment tells us that that's as dark as we're going to get this season. And hopefully we'll be able to end volume seven on a high note. And that's what I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Oh, yeah. No, that yeah. was, that was great. Um, fully concur with that to quote James A. Janice, be good people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, real quick. Uh, I, uh, before, before we wrap it up for the night again, we have one episode left. 
Any final predictions before we sign off for the night? Let's go ahead and start with Mark. I'm I'm totally thrown, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Like I think this episode and the final episode will, you know, th- th- this whole season and every season is going to eventually cut together to be a feature length, feature cut story. And I, I feel like this episode that we've just discussed and the finale are going to work together very, very well. And so it's hard to talk about stuff in transit. I think I can't imagine them going one better on the fights, but I'm pretty sure they will. Um, the music is going to be absolutely rad. Um, <laughs> I wanted to bring up just really quickly um, that Kaito Dan. Hi, Dan. Um recently put up a poll uh asking whose perspective do they think the volume seven credit song is going to be from and they put up the choices of ironwood salem robin or other and i did it from the team account as opposed to mine because i didn't know what i was signed in with whoops but (laughs) i think for the collective i think we're gonna get a reprise of hero but slowed (gasps) down and methodical and that's where I'm going to end my predictions. Ooh. All right. I'm going to open up this other bottle here. Sorry. <laughs> because you just broke my heart. Uh, Stacy. There are so many huge question marks I have about what is going to happen next. Just because I think we have so many chaotic moving pieces. And well, I'm, at, at this point, we've kind of hit all of the broad strokes that I feel like were pretty pretty certain in coming you know the Aesop's versus team ruby showdown uh, i'm gonna hold out and say that winter is not going to end up with the maiden's power <gasps> i am open to it being penny i still think it's weiss <laughs> i love that i love that I'm going to take some long-range predictions here. I think that we are eventually going to be looking at the literal fall of Mantle. I think it's going to wind up back on the ground, whether that is... Atlas, you mean? Did I say say Mantle? Yeah. Fuck me. It's already (laughs) on the ground. Uh, The fall of Atlas, whether we are looking at, like, Age of Ultron disaster calamity levels, or whether it is a slow, controlled descent for hashtag reasons... Um, I think we're looking at that. I wouldn't be surprised if, and serious business here, if we see Crow struggling with staying on the wagon, because that's hard to do when times are good, and times are not good. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get a little bit of that. But um, most immediately for this next episode, flying monkeys. <laughs> flying fucking monkeys, you guys. It's been long They're enough. They're on their way. It's time. They're coming. i understood that reference yes thank you um (laughs) i'm really excited uh i i threw out earlier um oscar gets access to magical powers uh maria ruby silver eyes moment um to quote malachroma talking about our our last episode I want to see Cinder get dunked on by an old lady. <laughs> get dunked on, girl. <laughs> That's what I was. I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there and just say that Freya just 
ultimately owns Cinder to a hilarious degree. Uh, <laughs> again, that's less of a prediction and more of like the secret. I'm throwing it out there and I want it to manifest into reality. Um, there's that. Uh, and I concur. I think Atlas is going to fall. Um, it would not surprise me if James Ironwood died at the end of the next episode or... It's on the real dangerous to be a headmaster around here, isn't it? <laughs> it would be. I could also see him, you know, with his forces in tatters um, and possibly even Atlas, you know, crashed into Mantle. I could definitely see him being left in disgrace as Team Ruby makes their getaway and then he becomes either a broken man for the the rest of the the series or he becomes a permanent antagonist to team ruby for the rest of the series or he's a broken man for a little while up until the climax of the series when he comes back and atones for having turned on them i don't know how this is all gonna pan out all i know is that when it comes to ironwood it's gonna break my my heart and uh look at that the bottle's empty um, so yeah, uh, we've been going really long. Thank you guys for listening. Um, as, as we kind of brought it down for a little bit for some real talk. Uh, thank you all just in general so much for listening. Thank you for being here. We, we care about you. So thank you so much for sticking around. Mark, where can people go if they want to keep up with you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Budonica. I did some traveling last weekend for work and I think I've got some more traveling coming up. It's very exciting. I, I have a very cool job and i'm appreciative of it every day but i am equally as appreciative that i get an opportunity to talk about other stuff that i love with some wonderful people and that's both presently in this room chat room and uh everybody on the discord as well it's a it's a wonderful time to be an animation fan and i think us all banding together and talking about it civilly is a gift because there's a lot of toxicity out there and I appreciate y'all. I concur. Stacy, how about you? I am always around for talking about a multitude of fandoms <laughs> and <laughs> discussing any and all of the things. Um, you can usually find me over on Twitter and Instagram at Stacy Shuttles. Uh, work's been kind of busy lately, so my cosplay plans have ground to a slight halt. But, you know, you can yell at me on Twitter about that, too, and maybe I'll start sewing again. Katie? You can follow me all over social medias and on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxet, that is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you would like to see reaction videos for these episodes, and knowing you guys, you probably want to see the reaction video for this episode. Uh, Y'all love that schadenfreude. Um, they are available on that YouTube channel. Have fun! And I'm Megan. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I do a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost, where my co-host Will Link loves Lost, and I don't. <laughs> we discuss. And I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams, um, where 
Katie and I talk about horror things. Uh, so go check that out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, just be sure to follow the whole team at the Rooster Team on Twitter. Join our Discord. You can support us uh, with a monthly subscription on Anchor. You can buy uh, stuff from our Tee Public store of the silly things that we say. All sorts of ways you can support us and the things that we do. Um, and again, if you're feeling alone, just know that you're not alone. And we're, you know, you you aren't alone and it gets easier and there are people out there who share your experiences too so don't give up and uh we love you so yeah thank you all so so much for listening this has been ruby redux and now it's time to say goodbye <laughs>